It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On MLB Fantasy Minute is presented by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the most fun I've had playing daily fantasy baseball and winning up to 25 times my money. Download the app today and use the code Locked On MLB for a first deposit match up to $100. Exploring my skills on Prize Picks this season adds an extra layer of excitement to daily fantasy sports. With just a few taps, you can transform $10 into $1,000 if you've got the skills. Prize Picks is incredibly user friendly. I can make my selections and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. As the host of Locked On Fantasy Baseball, here are some rock solid picks. Opt for Shohei Otani to have less than 38.5 home runs this season. Opt for Bobby Miller to have higher than 150.5 strikeouts this season. And for Bryce Harper to have higher than 97.5 ribbies this season. Download the app today and use the code LOCKEDONMLB for first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today. Use the code LOCKEDONMLB for first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. The 2022 Major League Baseball season for the Cincinnati Reds was defined by current losses in hopes of future gain, with the trade deadline being the focal point. We'll look back on just how well the Reds did at adding future talent and who among the rabble of the Reds' limp to the finish line showed promise on today's Locked On Reds. You are Locked On Reds. Your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds. Thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen of the day. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we are free and available on all podcasting platforms. I'm your host, Stephen Offenbaker, alongside Jeff Carr, and we have a passion for baseball we have a passion for the Cincinnati Reds, and we have taken that passion and turned it into information for you. On today's podcast, we are going to continue our walk down memory lane as we finish up our recap of the 2022 baseball season and dive into the trade deadline and the what ended up being abysmal second half of the 2022 season as a result of trading away all of the pieces and parts uh, that the Reds could. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is where the game starts. All right, Jeff, we spent a, a good a good portion of this week recapping the 2022 baseball season. And yesterday's episode was uh, a tale of two first halves, basically, where we talked about their awful start and then drifted into the territory of the season where they started to play some decent baseball and actually played like the team we thought they were. They played 500 ball for the second half of the first half before the second half started. At any rate, you get what I'm saying. That 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 May, June, July period before the trade deadline, the Reds played pretty close to 500 baseball and looked like they could be uh, a, a dark horse candidate for one of those newly expanded wild card playoff slots. But we all saw the writing on the wall. We knew what was coming. Uh, we knew that Nick crawl had received his marching orders and that was to sell baby sell. So the trade deadline arrived and things got busy in a hurry. 
it was something that they set this up. Sorry, I don't know, I'm mute there. Uh, in the off season where they just tore down for money. They didn't really add a whole lot as far as future talent. I mean, there's only a couple of guys that you can really point to that are prospects that have the kind of future value that they added with the trades they made at the deadline. But the trades were always going to define this season. I, I think that the 3-22 and 22 start just nailed it to the wall that this is what they were going to do. And even though they played better there in the second half of the first half, they just didn't quite play good enough to change the plan. So lots of different trades were made and I, I, we're not going to go every, go through every single one, but obviously the most impactful one was the Luis Castillo trade. And we always knew that was going to be the case because he was the top trade candidate on the roster and Nick crawl really did a fantastic job with this trade. It's kind of funny that it just so happens to be a Mariners trade because well, the off season trade that the Reds actually got some future value back from that was a Mariners trade as well. So half of the Mariners farm system now is in the Reds farm system, but Noel V Marte, Edwin Arroyo, and then the two pitchers and Levi Stout and Andrew Moore all came over for the singular Luis Castillo. Just it was the amazing trade that everybody, even in the major league baseball, like league wide, took notice of and said, oh, okay, Nick Crawl's got a handle on this. It, it did say that. It also said that the Seattle Mariners were not messing around. They were mm -hmm. not going to lose to the Yankees uh, in this sweepstakes, as it were. Uh, the The telling piece of this trade is Noel B. Marte. Uh, we know... Uh, from things that have come out after the fact that the Reds were trying to get him back in the uh, Suarez Winker deal. Seattle was not budging. Uh, ultimately the Reds end up getting him. So, you know, he was really the centerpiece of this deal. And listen, uh, I say that knowing that Edwin Arroyo is no slouch. That was a good right. get as well. You've got Levi Stout who's at AAA already and his numbers were enough that you and I started looking at him uh, as September was coming around and the pitching staff was in the shambles. We started looking at him already for a late season call up. So he's not that far away either. So this was, this was a great trade. This is the trade where everybody did, as you say, take notice that, that Nick crawl might have this. And you know, this by many baseball monitors by many baseball observers was labeled a, a win for the Reds, even though there's not really any major leaguers involved in this deal right now. Right. And it's something too, that Levi Stout, uh, it, it's kind of interesting that Noel V Marte was a guy that they were negotiating about in the Suarez Winker deal. N Levi Stout was part of the list of players to be named later. So it was very obvious that this trade negotiation kind of started whenever they were talking about Suarez and Winker as well. So Nick crawl and, um, uh, Jerry DePoto just must have had a very nice text plan between the two of them or something like that. Uh, but Levi Stout was a guy that I think will be in the mix in spring training. So again, kind of looking back at the myriad names that they're going to have to pick through for this bullpen to start the year next year, Levi Stout is another name that you can add to that list. But Steve, I know that you mentioned this trade as well. Um, there's another trade that the Reds did really well on, and it was kind of up in the air as to how much they would get for Tyler Malley. But I know that uh, you were very impressed, and I was very impressed as well, as what they did with the Twins. Uh, 
Absolutely, because uh, the fact of the matter is, I think Minnesota overpaid a little bit for Tyler Malley. Like, yeah. look, I, I I have always thought Tyler Malley is a great number three guy in a rotation uh, with consistency. Could be labeled a number two guy in a rotation, but but Minnesota really stepped up, uh, trying to do their best to 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 build a, a playoff contender, and and they didn't mess around. Not only did they send over Christian and Carcion Strand. Not only did, and I always say, I always butcher this guy's name, but Stephen H- Hajar, Hagar, Hajar, 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 Stephen Hajar. Uh, he comes back as well, but in this deal also, correct, love the lefties. Uh, in this deal also is Spencer Steer, who's already at the major league level now. So right. this this deal, this was, listen, if the Luis Castillo trade was a, an A letter grade deal that Nick Carl put together. This one's an A plus in my mind yeah. because he traded Luis first, which reduced the market of available quality starting pitching and then got Minnesota to pay big for the other guy that he had available to move. I, I thought it was a fantastic navigation of trading away uh, the two big gun starting pitchers. Yeah, it was an adept sell. And I know that Steer really only got a month, less than a month, or no, a little bit over a month since we went into October. I keep thinking the season ended right at October's start, but that's not the case. Uh, But Spencer Steer looked like he could handle himself at the plate. Of course, you know, people are going to look at the batting average and things like that and say, well, it didn't look that good. But his whole thing was the strikeout to walk ratio. And I liked that ratio. He did a pretty good job of drawing some walks there, and he has a handle on the strike zone. Everything else is going to come with it, I believe, there. But everyone that has watched Christian Encarnacion, CES, play in the minor leagues has said this dude has got the power. In fact, I saw a couple of comments whenever we were talking about, is there a red who could break George Foster's record here in the near future? There were a couple of comments of people saying, yeah, I think CES could do it. So Encarnacion Strand is going to be a really interesting piece in this lineup moving forward. And when you kind of look at the rest of the trades that happened during the season, none of them were as impactful as Mally or Castillo, but what was the thing that you noticed the most? Because for me, it was all about acquiring guys who have really, really high ceilings. Now they're not necessarily sure things. We're not talking about prospects that are just going to absolutely wow everything off of your face, but they're teenagers with high ceilings that could really develop into something albeit four or five years down the road. I think that's a that's a pretty good description of, of what the Reds did with what they got in return. I think for me, uh, if I could just like boil it down to, to one word of what the Reds were trying to do, uh, I think that word is athletes. They went out and got guys that, well, I know a lot of them bear that shortstop label and a lot of them think of themselves as shortstops. A lot of these players have the ability to play multiple positions. And even for the ones that haven't played multiple positions, they're athletic enough to be moved around very easily. And I think that that was the mindset the Reds went into this with that not we're going to bring in seven shortstops because then maybe one will stick. I think they truly believe that all of the guys they brought back in these deals uh, are 90 percent certain to make the major leagues and they're going to be able to play all over the diamond. I think basically they got everybody but a first baseman back in these deals. I think 
multiple baseball people have said this to me, but a shortstop can play anywhere, but not anybody can play shortstop. So I, I would much rather have a team full of shortstops that you you get them to move to other positions as opposed to what the Reds have done in the past, and that is let's acquire corner infielders and corner outfielders and, you know, force them to play shortstop and second base. So And Spencer Steer said pretty much that exact same thing during our our sit down for lefty in the bullpen that you know basically a shortstop and a center fielder i think he included center fielders in that yep um but but both of those there's the two most athletic positions on the field and i think the reds did a fantastic job of targeting guys uh that that fit that mold these trades were necessitated by the moves that the front office made in the offseason and really the offseason before when they just started to cut off bullpen pieces that they didn't need to it was all choice. It was a choice made by the Reds, but you've got to hand it to them. Whether or not you agree with the plan, and I know that neither you or I agree with the fact that they should have tore down the team, but whether you agree with it, at least they stuck to it, which is something that we have not been able to say in years past. And honestly, I think Nick Crawl stuck to it very well, and that's why we gave him the grade that we did at the trade deadline. Oh, absolutely. And you, you, we talked about just some of the trades, Jeff. I mean, there was a lot of action. Uh, not on, Brandon Drury, Tyler Naquin, uh, Tommy Pham. The list goes on and on. So, you know. And remember, Philip Deal was part of the Tyler Naquin trade. Like, like Nick Crawl got players for Philip Deal. Mm -hmm. That's true. That Crazy. is absolutely that is absolutely right. And 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 he also cemented his biggest win i think of the season during this deadline which was brandon drury uh, because yep. that's all nick crawl he went out and found him signed him brought him in dude had an amazing front half as we've talked about already and flipped him at his absolute highest value before there was any decline at all and got victor acosta back and i think that's the i think that's the one that gets the little exclamation point on it for uh the trade deadline Right, because you're talking about crazy value over what you probably would have thought you got for a guy uh, that you just picked off the waiver wire heap in spring training. But you know, Steve, even after all these trades happen, games still needed to be played. And uh, we saw a dramatic, yes, a dramatic shift. Uh, it was kind of expected, yes. Uh, but we'll look at who rose above all of this calamity that happened after the trade deadline Coming up next, before we do that, though, I want to tell you that the best place to find your net bet, your next bet is at BetOnline.net. BetOnline has you covered when it comes to every single season. We are in the throes of everything. I mean, basketball has started now. Now we're waiting on college basketball, but NBA has started. We've got the NFL. We've got the NHL. We've got Major League Baseball playoffs. We've got combat sports like UFC, all the different kinds of MMA that are out there. Plus, you've got wrestling, if you... If you want to bet on that, I don't know that I would suggest that. But hey, bet online's probably got you covered for wrestling too. And golf is in its off season, but that's coming here soon as well. Bet online has you covered when you're talking about point spreads, when you're talking about money lines, you're talking about prop bets. If you want to check out a good prop bet, if you're looking at some different matchups in the NFL or something like that, or who's going to score the most points tonight in the NBA games, Bet Online's got you covered. Check it out today. It's at betonline.net because they've got you covered every single season. They cover every sport like no one else. Great articles, great videos. They've even got their own podcast talking about some sports betting. Check them out. It's at betonline.net because Bet Online is where the game starts. 
Thanks again for making us your first listen today. Check us out tomorrow as we are going to rank the most important players to the Reds' future. And spoiler alert, one of them isn't on the roster. In fact, he might be the top one, but you know we'll get to that here uh, tomorrow because, Steve, we're still finishing up our look back on the season, and this is the point where things just took a turn. It is. And and here's the thing that, that jumped out at me and, and shout out to you because uh, you did a great job on this, this rundown for today's episode, really pulling out things that may have been easy to kind of let slide by you. And here's the one for me. We continue to talk about that, that three and 22 start and just how awful it was. That was 19 games under 500. Yep. The Reds record after the fire sale after the trades, 19 games under 500, 20 yeah. and 39. It was another identical stretch to that awful start. And albeit with a different roster, but still, it just shows you there's a reason that they lost 100 games this year. And one of the biggest reasons was how they hit during this period. I'll tell you what didn't. Uh, didn't contribute to the 100 losses though was the pitching because the pitching was actually much better. And, and if we look back as yesterday, we talked about their three and 22 start their ERA during those 25 games was 6.86 their ERA during this stretch of 59 games where they were 19 games under 500 4.56 much, much better. And it was all led by your dude, Nick Lodolo. Nicoladolo was a beast during this stretch, Jeff. 11 starts uh, in this time period. Uh, he averaged just under six innings per start, had an ERA of 3.32, and striking out 10 batters over nine innings and walking basically nobody. I mean, right. the, the walk rate, the, the, the walk to strikeout ratio is the thing that I continue to go back to for both Nicoladolo and uh, Hunter Green once he got it going during this stretch. It, it was just, it was amazing. And you, you cite that ERA and, and, and let's put that in perspective for just a minute. There were multiple times during this stretch of games when they were literally signing guys off the street and having them start the next day. I mean, this wasn't, this literally. is not, I mean, this we're is not, this is not things, things we've seen before. I mean, we've seen bad reds pitching, but we've not seen that. And it happened multiple times. Multiple times. I mean, we're talking about Chase Anderson. We're talking about TJ Zoik. We're talking about some names that I don't think we're going to hear next year. At least, you know, fingers crossed that we don't hear him this year. But I'll tell you this, too, because the, the starting pitching from Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green and Graham Ashcraft, and, you know, there were a couple of interesting starts from Chase Anderson, but that was pretty solid. The bullpen was actually awesome. And I know we haven't been able to say that over the course of the last couple of years, but for some reason during this 59 game stretch, they were just on top of things. Now the inherited runner percentage wasn't like the most amazing thing ever, but league average bullpen will give up 32% inherited runners to score. The reds were at 30%. So they're better than league average. I think most people, they like default to, okay, your team's bad. Well, then your bullpen sucks. That wasn't the case for the reds. No, and, and I, I know it's easy to just look down there and be like, well, they had Alexis Diaz and he was the only valuable piece down there. And that's not true. Some other guys emerged. I mean, there was even there was even a stretch during this period where Hunter Strickland was not awful. 
So right. that, that that should tell you a lot. I, I mean, we could. He'd already burnt out. all the bridges, had, but yeah, he, did. He, was... he had burnt the bridges and he hit his magic number for the the pay raise for finishing yes. games yeah. or whatever the heck it was in his contract. But there's other guys down there. I know there was a couple dudes that really stood out to, for you. Yeah, the the main one to me, and this was a guy that if you watched him pitch on a daily basis, he had a nasty breaker and when it was working few people were hitting him if any and it's evidenced by the fact that buck farmer in 25 appearances during these 59 games did not allow a home run steve in fact according to the fan graphs right. mike minor had his back yeah yeah mike minor made up for that um <laughs> but uh, according to the fan graphs calculation for war he actually had a point one more. It's 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 minuscule here, I know, but he had point eight WAR, and Alexis Diaz had point seven during this time. So according to Fangraphs, he was a more valuable relief pitcher, which is amazing to think because, like you said, our initial thought is it's Alexis Diaz and a bunch of dudes. But Buck Farmer was starting to set himself apart during this period. Oh, absolutely, and you know we would be remiss if we didn't talk about a four start stretch that Hunter green mm. put together mm -hmm. during this time. And I mean, I know that it, it took Hunter green longer to kind of get it together than it did for Nicoladolo, but Hunter green managed to compile the same F four as Nicoladolo in that period, because he was just simply that dominant for those four starts. We're talking 23 innings, 37 strikeouts, only two earned runs allowed. See, and this is the thing where, and I know it's a tiny sample size, but where we kind of talked about maybe he was unfairly hyped up in the preseason, this is what we thought. This is what we expected from him. And the main reason for it is because he had pinpoint command of that fastball. He put it wherever he wanted, and the hitter had nothing they could do about it. It was phenomenal to watch. And just another reason as to why the pitching was the reason that the Reds got the few wins that they did uh, after that uh, teardown of a trade deadline. And, and and let's be honest about it. These young pitchers, Diaz, Lodolo, Green, Ashcraft, uh, they're the reason a lot of people hung around and watched these games in the second half. I mean, there was there was yeah. not a lot of hope going to the old ball yard every day that the, the Reds were going to turn it around and become a winner. Nobody really believed that. But on the days that those guys were starting, you knew they were going to at least have the Reds in the game through six. And that made it worth tuning in or heading down to the ballpark and paying attention. Yeah, there were many times at the ballpark where I was just like, you know, I need another hot dog or I need another beverage here. Um, but we're pitching. I'll wait till we're hitting. When we're hitting, I'll, I'll go get more. <laughs> Which is usually the opposite of what everybody does. That's amazing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Jeff. You know... You bring up the hitting, and the hitting, well, that was probably what led to the Reds' collapse. Uh, we're going to explain all things hitting, such as it was, coming up next. You can follow the podcast on all platforms, including YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube right now, thanks a lot for being here. Uh, if you've clicked subscribe, we appreciate it. If you haven't, click subscribe. And make sure you guys click that notification bell down there, too, because every time we go live, every time we post a bonus episode, every time we post anything, you're going to get a direct notification and be one of the first amongst our viewers and listeners to get to check it out. We really do appreciate you doing that. If you're in our audio feeds, thanks. Make sure you've clicked subscribe. Uh, 
we'd love to hear from you. You can interact with us on Twitter. You can follow me at S. Offenbaker. That's with two Fs. You can follow Jeff at Jeff Carr. That's Jeff with three Fs. And you can follow the show at Locked on Reds. All right, Jeff, as exciting and as interesting as a lot of the pitching was, you cannot use those words for the hitting <laughs> no. in the second half of 2022. No, and I, I definitely wouldn't say anywhere near toward the entirety of the lineup. I almost want to like take that a step further and be like, there really wasn't that many exciting guys. There were a couple of guys that had, you know, at least according to Fangraphs, over 100 WRC plus weighted runs created plus, which is essentially the same thing, just slightly different than OPS plus, but really outside of those three guys, there was a lot of struggles and we're talking about a team. Uh, th this stat blew me away. We're talking about a team that over the course of two months, they had a total of 20 hitters come to the plate in some form or fashion to hit a ball. All of those guys put together for that time frame hit 56 home runs, i.e. six less than what Aaron judge did by himself for 20 guys. That there was no power in this lineup. None. None at all. And it's funny. You mentioned a few exceptions. Uh, I saw this in the YouTube comments. And thanks, guys, for the YouTube comments. You know, I'm in there. I'm trying to reply as much as I can. But somebody called those outfielders the F troop in Fraley, Fairchild, <laughs> and Friedel. And I'm like, that is amazing. I love it. But, yeah, those are the three guys that the have OPS troop. Plus. The, yes, the F troop brought to you by blue Chew. <laughs> there you go. It's the, Oh God, Jeff, the, but they are the three guys that had an OPS plus uh, better than league average is those three outfielders that we uh, have spent some time talking about uh, last week. So, so for me, uh, it, the rest of this lineup was just so bad. I mean, it, the injuries after injury, after injury, yeah. we lose Joey Votto. Tyler Stevenson's long gone. Nick Senzel can't put anything serious together. Jonathan India is playing on a bum wheel most of the year. Uh, you know, it tells you everything you need to know when the, the model of consistency in this lineup is your hitter of the year in, in MVP Kyle Farmer. Kyle Farmer, and he was the main guy, too. Like, when you look at the biggest struggle, like we talk about the lack of power, the biggest struggle for this team was runners in scoring position. When they had that chance, when there was an ability to get a guy in and he was in position to do so, as a team, they hit 212. But it gets even worse than that if you look at the fact that, okay, Kyle Farmer – was really good at this. He actually hit over 300. Jonathan India hit 291. If you kind of mash them together with their at bats against runners or with runners in scoring position, they hit 306 collectively. The rest of the lineup, every single person else that stepped up to the plate hit a buck 87 with runners in scoring. Basically, if there were guys on base on second or third and the guy at the plate wasn't India or Farmer, the opposing pitcher wasn't worried. No, and I, I mean, I think a lot of times we saw the opposing managers yeah. manage differently when they were playing the Reds because like, I, there were several, yeah. yeah, there were several occasions, but, but there were several occasions where, you know, you would think, okay, they're going to have to make a pitching change here. We're going to get into their bullpen. We're going to get into another reliever. And the manager would just ride it out. And I think this 
played a lot into that uh, because they could see these numbers too. And if you're looking at the lineup and it's the bottom half of the lineup and you've got a runner on first and second or second and third, those managers weren't sweating it as much just because there was no, no fear of anybody else delivering in these situations. Well, and, and, you know, I know that we've we've talked with a couple of different players that say that, you know, advanced scouting numbers and stuff like that, that's not really something they want in their heads. But if I was an opposing pitching coach going out to talk to guy on the mound whenever the Reds maybe have runners on second and third with nobody out, I just walk up to my guy and be like, buddy, that ain't Farmer or India. They ain't hitting you. Forget about it. Throw strikes. They'll get themselves out. We'll get out of this. You'll be okay. Because more often than not, that's exactly what happened but steve there were a couple of guys that had pretty good numbers when you kind of look at the composite the the weighted runs created plus that kind of brings it all together three guys who played some good playing time during this period of time hit pretty well well and it's those three guys that i mentioned just a minute ago it's the it's the the three f's the f troop whatever you we're gonna brand them next season i i I feel like boy band style t-shirts coming on or something <laughs> along those lines but it was I mean, it was goofy a on the t-shirt yeah goof yeah. like goof troop <laughs> Stuart fairchild 159 weighted runs created plus in 30 games for the reds tj friedel 138 with his weighted runs created plus uh and of course jake fraley 136 uh those guys, the maximum was Jake, Jake Fraley with 50 games. Friedel made it into 43, Fairchild into 30. So not a huge sample size, but they all had success nonetheless. And we talked about this last week a little bit, Jeff. I think they all three have earned at least an opportunity to uh, be with this team when it opens play in 2023. Given the lack of outfielders, it's not unreasonable to think there will be times where all three are in the lineup at the same time, depending on the opposing pitcher. Yeah, and that's where you know we, we talk about moves that we want to see the front office make. There's a reason for that because the lineup that we saw after the trade deadline will be the lineup we see mostly. I don't think Donovan Solano will be back, so we're not even talking about him, that we see on opening day if they don't make moves because we're not talking about Eli De La Cruz coming up on opening day. I think he's got to do a lot in spring training, and even then I'm not sure that happens. He, he probably doesn't have to make an out. Like if he makes no outs in spring training, maybe he's on the opening day roster. But I I think that this lineup does not change very much unless they make some moves within the margins like we've been talking about. And yes, Fairchild, Friedel, and Fraley really did a nice job of giving me something to where I want to see more. There's plenty of guys on this roster that did not give me anything I want want to see more of looking at Jose Barrero. So when I see guys like this, I'm like, okay, maybe we got something here, but yes, that's literally the bright spot. These three guys, the F troop, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of growing on me. Not going to lie. <laughs> well, listen, Jeff, I, that's probably a great spot to wrap it up for today with, with those three guys. The bottom line, the Reds got to 100 losses because they, they couldn't hit, you know, there's that old saying they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. And I think that is, a good summation of the second half reds of 2022 <laughs> wrap us up jeff pretty much there yeah steve that's going to wrap us up for this edition of the lockdown reds podcast thank you so much for watching for listening if this is your first time make sure that you're subscribed that way you don't miss anything we've got coming for you this off season like we've got tomorrow where we're going to tell you 
who the most important Reds are to the future of this franchise. Thanks again for making us your first listen. Now make Locked On MLB your second listen, as Paul Francis Sullivan has you covered with his humor, passion, and his unique perspective on the game all throughout the postseason. That's Locked On MLB, just like Locked On Reds, free and available on all platforms. Steve, we are through, well, almost through, recapping this last year, at least for the team-wide story. We're going to jump into some player thoughts. We're going to jump into some deep dives on some guys and what the future looks like for the Reds. So, what's that mean for you and me? Uh, That means you and I are going to spend a lot of time digging through the the data. We're going to look at the stats. We're going to go player by player, look at what guys did and what they need to do to hopefully result in a better 2023 for these Reds because we're going to provide all of the information necessary to keep everybody listening locked on Reds every single day. F true. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.